HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. My name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super-duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border, coast to coast, and all the ships at sea. Streaming live from the County of Kings, Brooklyn, New York City, on the Heritage Radio Network. Are you ready for the fastest half hour on the internet today? It's the Mike and Judy Show. Spanning the globe for high-minded hijinks and low-brow kicks to bring you the best in sex, drugs, rock and roll, and nuclear fission. Too bad for radio and too good looking for television. And now, here they are, the Nichols and May of the Now Generation, your hosts, Mike Edison and Judy McGuire. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Judy. Hi, how are you? I'm feeling really good today. <laughs> yes, you're a little drunk and hungover. I'm very... It's awesome, but go ahead. Just, just like spose out me to, the, to our fast radio audience. As I can't because I will get in over. deep trouble if I out you because you, yeah because we're not talking about your drinking problem and your problem is you don't drink <laughs> enough in the shower before you get to the show I, I can't drink in the shower I well my, we have two fantastic guests today and one of them is an old friend of mine Michael Gonzalez who's a writer um, and he he explained my problem I'm Irish I don't like to waste liquor and you are going to water down your beer if you drink it in the shower that's it's a matter of technique. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it's just technique. It's, like, it's it's not rocket science. Snorting cocaine in the shower—that's rocket science, and I can explain how to do that perhaps at a later show. But drinking, <laughs> but, drink, but drinking beer in the shower—it's not that difficult. You don't, you know, the, the hot water on the back, cold beer in front of you. It's not complex. You have one of those. It's like fans? the bedrock of multitasking too. You know, it's an important sort of uh, practice to get. It used to. is the solution to all of life's problems. I'm I guarantee being peer you. pressured into drinking beer in the shower. <laughs> what? Do, I'm a girl. I'm supposed to drink like. A glass of white wine in the bath. That's okay. I'm okay with the champagne in the bubble bath, but this is a different. This is a different lifestyle component. All right. Well, I had one beer, and I guess that because I didn't have breakfast, I'm a little. I'm kind of wasted from my one beer. Um, <laughs> okay, McGuire. Who are our guests today? Our guests are okay. Like I mentioned before, Michael A. Gonzalez, who is a great writer, a good friend, and really funny. He's a, oh, 
cultural critic I'm reading on his bio. Sorry. <laughs> He's written st- cover stories for Wax Poetic, Vibe, Stop Smiling, and XXL. And he currently blogs at blackadelicpop.blogspot.com. And he has... He's he has, the Jackie Robinson of the Mike and Judy show. He is our first black guest, which wow. is really embarrassing. That, that, that says a lot. I mean, how many years have you guys been on the <laughs> I am thoroughly wow. embarrassed. This show is this, this really about... years in ago. Bushwick. In Bushwick. I am Bushwick. You think we could Bushwick. Today's show is really about my liberal guilt. Puerto Ricans? But wait, our... <laughs> I think we might have. I don't know. Um, but our other guest is a new friend to white, the Mike and Judy show. Dude. Who is Mike? Um, Maxwell Tremblay. He writes for Maximum Rock and Roll and plays drums in the band Sleepies, and he's getting his PhD, which makes him smarter than any of us. And he writes for Maximum Rock and Roll, which makes him smarter than and any of us. I think the jury's still out on that one, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> he's a co-author of a book that I just started reading the other day called White Riot, Punk Rocks and the Politics of Race, um, which I'm enjoying because at first I was a little scared off thinking it was a little hyper ap- hyper. See? Hypo- One beer. Hypoallergenic? <laughs> Hypoacademic. <laughs> no, I thought it was, well, I worked, I worked in academia for a while, and that's what made me not want to get my PhD, because we were, we were doing all these cool studies, and then we were writing stories that nobody could read. But this is a great book. It has... Um, Interviews with anti-academics, anti-intellectuals. Uh, well, and, and that's sort of by design in the sense that, like, we are both academics that are kind of anti-academics to a mm-hmm. certain extent. Uh, 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 we try to sort of, I mean, we have to have the sort of good academic essays in there to sort of give it that sheen of, right. of, of, of scholarliness. And then you have dumbasses like Ian Stewart <laughs> <laughs> from Screwdriver who... Sadly passed. Not so sadly passed. I know. Passed. Good riddance. Yeah, Good riddance. Racist. So, I mean, the question, though, is you take something like punk rock, which should resist all attempts to put it in an academic con- context, and here you are, like, you know, slapping this book learning on something that should be just intuitive. I don't know. I mean, Michael was just on a panel, was it last week? Yeah, last uh, last Saturday. Tell me about, tell us a little bit about the panel, because it, it was, was really interesting. It was basically about... Um, uh, English fanzines mm-hmm. in the 80s but you know I was there because I started out writing in, in punk fanzines but I used to write about hip hop and punk fanzines so basically they pulled me in as the Jackie Robinson of the <laughs> panel to uh, to talk about you know how hip hop and punk were kind of together at one time and at least in New York I can't speak for any in, in DC too I mean, th- those are the two places I was, and oh. we, I, me, and my friend Julie, we, I had a mohawk. She had spikes. We went to go see like breakdancing contests and Public Enemy. Oh yeah, I mean, I was always at the Grandmaster Flash gigs. I saw uh, the Soul Sonic Force. I don't know how many times. And Flash opened for uh, uh, for the Clash. Yeah, no, no, I, I saw Curtis, but I saw, also saw Curtis Blow get booed off the stage opening for the Clash, which was just fucking heartbreaking. Well, I mean, when they when 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 the Clash played at Bonds, they played one night. They they were really into hip hop because yeah. the whole you know. English punk scene had you know the reggae influence which also influenced uh, hip hop and they got Grandmaster Flash to open for them at Bonds International and they were booed off the stage as well yeah, yeah. Yep. well the Clash were hip I mean they also aside from the hip hop artists they're into black R&B artists that a lot of punk rockers probably you know weren't that or that hip Julie Dorsey they loved but I heard Bo Diddley got booed off the stage in front of them I think at the Palladium I mean they were always having these cool acts the kind of people well, that I the think- Rolling Stones were more likely to have to show their, their debt to you know black R&B artists that the Clash would have and idiot, you know, white punk rock kids just didn't fucking get it. And is that, I mean, is that cool to well, boo, it's, it's, it's the fucking Bo Diddley off the stage? <laughs> I mean, what the fuck is wrong with these kids? Well, it, 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 it shows, I think, first of all, that, that, that the Clash were always maybe smarter than their fan base, I think, which is probably still true of a lot of punk rock kids. I was say. a fan. I'm 
Okay, never mind. <laughs> or, 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 or smarter than, say, the, the sort of vast kind of knee-jerk white kid majority of their fan base. I read, so. yeah, I read your Joe Strummer uh, interview. It was pretty good for a girl. <laughs> so, some punk, some punk fanzine actually wrote that. Like it was pretty good for a girl. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, well, yeah. I think you know. I mean, gender. We're talking about race and punk rock, but I mean, gender and punk rock too. I mean, it is been straight white dudes. Absolutely. I mean, yep. predominantly. Yeah. Well, and 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 and, but you do get these sort of interesting moments, things like Riot Girl and things like some of the uh, uh, the zine culture in the late '90s that actually do try to try to try to address that issue in a very punk rock language at least you have you know Kathleen Hanna going suck my left one or or, or, or the Ben Los Crudos saying we're that spick band trying to actually uh, 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 call out these punk kids for being just primarily kind of white and middle class and male even what was the um, okay forgive me because I can't remember because I had a beer but there was an essay <laughs> there was good. an essay in the book uh, written by somebody who felt like punk rock was a completely white construct that um, owed no debt to like black rock and roll oh like oh roots. well that was one of the white supremacists okay. uh, that, we, was, we, we, that was my skimming section <laughs> <laughs> um, I should say we do have a section in the book on white power because we feel like it's important to actually look at how how these kids work out their own kind of hideous and vile discourse but but that's the sort of most extreme example of that where it's really somebody who has made this political commitment to white supremacy and then trying to tell this whole alternate history that's basically a lie of how rock and roll is an entirely white uh, musical phenomenon and, and, and they do that in this crazy way where they're, they point to like church music in the south and like Appalachian folk songs and all this kind of shit it's, 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 it, it, it's absolutely batty but don't forget Johnny Ramone had said when he started the band that he wanted to create a music that was without blues hmm. right? right yeah that's yeah, what he yeah, said yeah, which yeah, is yeah, ridiculous because if you listen to all the girl band influences and all this sort of like latent R&B stuff that was sort of happening which obviously came you know from Motown and, and black girl groups that they were into but he really wanted to reduce it it does not swing it does not um, shake with the dotted eighth note the way the Rolling Stones do it is without blues sort of kind of I mean it's a very white music what the Ramones do is well, that when Phil Spector was producing them right yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and pulling guns on yeah. them. <laughs> that was the best story. <laughs> I, that's a very underrated record. I like that record. The Bud Spector Ramones record. End of the century. Yeah, yeah. I'll actually I will go out on a limb and say that's my favorite Ramones record. Wow. I think people will probably like. Okay, this burn is why you're getting. You. A, this is why you're getting a PhD in punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> that is not the best Ramones record, Michael. Who's uh, the no. best? What's the best Ramones record? Oh, no, I was never really into the Ramones, no. but I did live in the building with one of them. I can't remember which one, but. Um, Somewhere on Skinny guy, Chelsea. long, black hair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really tall, but he okay, was like six foot Oh, five. yeah, I know that guy. Oh, the one with the leather jacket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, if the punk rock's, you know, a white construct, I mean, can, can, can white boys play the blues? Yeah. Eh. Sometimes. Occasionally. I don't know. English. they got to be English. You think so? What about, really? what about that sexy Charlie Sexton? I don't really know a lot about Charlie Sexton. And what about the Clash playing reggae music? Which yeah. I know you you claim to hate reggae music, but, I don't but, like reggae but you music. love the Clash. Explain. The, the, <sighs> oh, it's the baseline. <laughs> the baseline. Sexy well, baseline. Yeah, I mean, shit. to me, to me, reggae is like hippie music. I swear, High Times ruined my life. High Times, <laughs> like, put me off reggae music. Was it High Times or Frat Boys ruining reggae for you, though? <laughs> well, Frat Boys also. Okay, okay. It's just, it's more the crap. I also don't like really slow music. Um, I like things that are, like, more poppy. I like songs with words. I mean, reggae has words, <laughs> but that's why I don't like jazz. Who the fuck can understand those people? <laughs> um, and it's just, I, the, clash, the Clash reggae stuff is kind of their weakest link for me. I, I like their rub-a-dub stuff. I like it when, when they're doing, um... Uh, I like police and thieves, but they 
you know, they sped it up a little. They sped it up a little bit. I mean, the Junior Mervin version, it's like, it's like wonderful. To me, that's rhythm and blues. You know, when I hear, you know, the, the reggae from that period, from the 70s, like Junior Mervin stuff, to me, it's closer to R&B than that hippie shit, which I agree with you. I don't want to hear this, like, loopy, jammy, hacky sack, frisbee tossing, smoke doobies in the park reggae. I'm out of that shit. I'm one of the guys. I mean, Bob Marley was a soul man. You know, Peter Tosh, mm. soul man. Toots of the Maytals, that is some powerful shit. We're going to re-educate you, McGuire. <laughs> You're going to have to reprogram me. <laughs> we go back in time and make sure and take th- away I, that whole high okay, times chapter here, of our no, life. No, here's the thing. There's some music that goes well with certain drugs. Reggae goes really good with pot smoking. I don't smoke pot. I don't get. I don't enjoy being altered in that way. So it's not really my speed. It's not. It's not my jam, man. How's that? All right, middle-aged lady. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so maximum rock and roll is still uh, running. It's still on the newsstands. It's yeah, still yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still at filthy inky Sammy's dot. Yes, yes, yes. After everybody went glossy, they still have the uh, the uh, the stuff that gets newsprint all over your hands and stuff. I love maximum rock and roll. Yeah, I still. I well, I haven't read it in a while. I oh, this, say. Well, I'm, you know, middle-aged ladies don't. No, we don't. <laughs> but I'm re- reading Oprah magazine <laughs> and more. <laughs> they don't cover a lot of funk records, really. Yeah. O magazine. No, I, well, you're talking about fan. I think maximum rock and roll certainly has done did more you know in its heyday to spread the word uh, you know the scene reports and whatnot oh, yeah. and there was like a global community a national community yeah later, pre-internet global, before the internet this is how we communicated and boy I remember when my record was first reviewed in Maximum Rock and Roll it was, it was a thrill did they like it? Was, it? Uh, they did actually um, later later um, other records they didn't not so much the first one they liked a lot um but, you know, I knew that, like, you know, it was being seen, like, you know, by people, kids in Nevada, by kids in San Diego, you know, flip side to another fanzine, which was out, out of San Diego, right? I think those so, fanzines yeah. were like, that was, that was, that was the thing. Well, and, 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 and it, they, they have this sort of international reach, and, and, and especially, I mean, I've gotten bad reviews from MRR before, and it sort of, it, it hurts a little bit more because it is that kind of, like, international stage on some level, right? I mean... So how, how does MRR function? I mean, you write from the occasion, it's still like that cooperative yeah, sort of I post... Do, um, I mean, it's really, at San Francisco, it's really where hippies meet punks. Right, right, right. And, 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 and really... I mean, somebody has to do a book about this, I think, or, or something like that, but I really think that it is that kind of San Francisco hippie legacy that turns punk rock from the sort of symbolic playground it once was into this sort of hardened, crusty, leftist progressivism. Um, and MRR basically functions as, you know, that it has two coordinators who don't get paid, but they get to live in the house and, and, and uh, uh, do really all the copy editing. I don't know how wow. they do it. They, they must work like... Is it still know. so... Is it still so jam-packed? It is. It is. It is. Um, and, and it's still, you know, it's still half ads, which is how they uh, right. support themselves, I but guess. But hey, they but get advertising. That's better maybe than... Maybe we should put an ad for the Mike and Judy show on Maximum Rock and Roll. I'm up for that. It's not a bad idea. I think, I think we should. And they actually. actually have a weekly radio show, too, the Maximum Rock and Roll podcast, which is really good. And, you know, they, they were definitely ahead of their time. I mean, just the... the Mm-hmm. The outreach of the whole magazine and, and the way it functioned. Um, it took them a while to figure out the internet, though. This big scary thing. Yeah, the, called well, the internet. I mean, them and Rolling <laughs> the magic, Stone the magic and Spin too—they're yeah. so behind the times on the internet. <laughs> like Rolling Stone just got their shit together online pretty recently. Spin is just getting it. They're just basically turning into an internet company. They're, well, yeah, they're, they're decreasing their frequency. They're going bi-monthly. Spin? Yeah, and they're trying to you know, up their internet presence. I mean, there's a story about it in the New York Times this week. Um, they laid off some staff. They had some uh, staff changes. That's stuff they should have been doing like five years you ago. You had to see this shit coming. I mean, how do you not see this happening? New York Magazine did a great job of integrating the two. You know, and now everybody's like but, running around saying, I mean, Vice did a great job. Yeah. I mean, they knew they were, you know... It's going to well, get started. Well, Vice was like, I mean, that guy Gavin was smart enough to hire people a lot younger than him. And <laughs> it's true. I mean. No, it's old people. Well, I will say one thing, though. If you go to Google Books, 
I'm sorry. If you go to Google Books, you can find all the old Spid magazines. Yeah. They have from the first issue to like two years ago. Oh, that's cool. And yeah, I was Spin was great when it started. I mean, yeah. they did they did real journalism. I mean, they were great. Yeah, stories. real they, journalism. Legs McNeil talking about screwing Sinead O'Connor. Yeah, well, the cover story well, <laughs> that was like what? They did some good. Well, stories. was she bald? Was she bald at the time? Yeah, she was. See, beautiful. that's a story. <laughs> well, I think we're gonna take a break and we're gonna go out with um uh the slits. Doing a Marvin Gaye song. Awesome. Oh, cool. Can you dig it? The Mike and Judy Show, streaming live from Roberta's here in Bushwick, Brooklyn, the County of Kings, brought to you by the Heritage Radio Network. This is Mike Edison with Judy McGuire. How's it going, Judy? I love that song. That was not Gladys Knight. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, what do you think is the best version of Heard It Through the Grapevine? Michael, what do you think? You got I think Marvin's is the best version. Yeah, I think last night version. I, you know, I didn't like Gladys until she left Motown. <laughs> like, I liked Gladys when she hooked up with Curtis Mayfield. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> right? That, that's cool. And the Pips? And the Pips. And the Pips. And the Claudine soundtrack. All right. So um, we were talking about, before we left, we were talking about publishing and journalism and the internet. And how we used to be able to make a living writing about music. I know. <laughs> Michael, so, you still can, though. Yeah, barely. I mean, you know, I, I've been, uh, I, I write for a bunch of websites. I, I, I do write a lot of, you know, free stuff for us. My friend Amy Linden likes to say on spec. But, oh. um, you know, but I still write for music magazines. I, I still write for Wax Poetics, where I have, you know, which is one of my favorite music Love magazines. Wax Poetics. Wax Poetics is fantastic. You know, I mean, like, the, the, the amount of knowledge that you can get from one issue of Wax Poetics is pretty cool. You know, and uh, I just did a, a, a cover story for them on, on Nina Simone. But oh, I did man. it nine months ago, and I'm still waiting for my check. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, but Wax Poetics, I mean, it's, got, it's a labor of love. I mean, it's got to be. a labor of love I mean, I know yeah. yeah. <laughs> It'd be nice to pay your phone bill so you can get a damn cell phone. I mean, well, well, hey, you got to keep the lights on. We're all writers, and we've been crushed by this concept that content should be free. Right. Uh. Yeah. It's and, so depressing. And apparently not. I mean, you know, it costs money to keep a keep a news desk in Kabul, you know, let alone Washington, let alone have someone qualified to write about punk rock in New York City. I mean, that, well, and, and, and especially, I mean, I'm sort of coming at it from a different angle just because I, 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 I always 
wrote for free for Maximum Rock and Roll just because that was sort of their model, at least. But that was also the kind of labor of love thing. I can't imagine, I mean, but having a whole industry take that model seems very suspect to me. It's very sad. <laughs> yeah. The industry is crashing. Speaking of um, the, yeah. the model of doing things for free in Maximum Rock and Roll, have you guys been downtown? Have you visited the protests? Are you guys uh, with the protesters? Are you part of the 99%? Yeah, I, I marched with them yesterday and, and on last Wednesday. I actually got to sort of see their whole infrastructural setup they have right now. It's really, really quite something. It's like something out of Thunderdome. Can you or, explain it to us? Know. Because no one else seems to be able to. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, the three old people, we haven't been down there. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't go to protests. I don't know if there's a toilet for me. So like, <laughs> They do have a nice sort of gray water system, if that's Ooh. your thing. Ew, I know. <laughs> it is kind of gross. Well, um, so what is going on? It just seems like a lot of left-wing sludge, I think, that needs to be, um, you know, that needs to be more defined. People don't really understand what they're about. Well, I, I, I think there, there's sort of a few registers at which it's working. One is to say that, you know, yeah, there's a sort of dirty, crusty kids down there who can, you know, who don't have, uh, say, say uh, uh, pulls on their lives that can keep them down there on mm-hmm. the regular, say. Uh, but then I think the past, the past week, at least, it's been more about just, you know, different kinds of people who have been shit on saying, like, there's something fundamentally wrong with our system of values in this country, you know? That's true. I absolutely mm-hmm. concur with that. I agree, too. Um, you know, I think it's powerful when labor unions come down and march, you know, with, with the crusties. I mean, that was always the thing with Maximum Rock and Roll. And you remember this, Judy. When we were, you know, coming up in the punk rock world, we were hanging out with Reagan Youth, and there were a lot of people who felt entitled, and they should be, you know, get handed out food. And when I was in San Francisco, you know, people cooking lentils in the parking lot and not as an alternative or because they couldn't afford to do it but because it was just a sort of protest against materialism uh, it was very, it was very idealistic, actually. Yeah. I mean, I remember someone like like trying to start a fight with me because I confessed that I owned a color TV. I was like, I was like, fuck you! Of course, I own a color TV. What the hell's wrong with you? Wow, that's so bougie of you, Mike. Yeah, seriously. Well, I mean, Did it have a remote control and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not back then. <laughs> So uh, what else have you been writing, Michael? You write crime stuff, too, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I've been writing a lot of crime fiction short stories. I, mean, I, I, I came into writing because when I was a kid, I, st- I saw The French Connection. And that movie changed my life. Awesome. And I always wanted to write crime fiction. You know, and I st- when I started writing professionally, I, st- I started writing music stuff, music journalism, and working for Vibe and The Source. But in the last couple of years, I've started working on a crime novel that I'm working on, and I've been writing for all these different websites, writing short stories for uh, Beat to a Pulp. There's another magazine called uh, Needle, which comes out. They published uh, one of my short stories last year. And RKB loves your stuff. Are you getting published in oh, Best yeah. Sex writing? Oh, yeah. Well, that's the erotica writing that I do. Yeah, he's, so. he's also a dirty bird. He's a pornographer. <laughs> no, erotica. Erotica. <laughs> one man's oh, pornography. Oh, we should do the angel dust hey, Okay, quick straw poll if you guys smoked the angel dust ever ever not lately no. no I smoked angel dust once oh, okay, okay. okay yeah 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 you're okay, in now we're down <laughs> to two guests you're, you're, you're in of the Mike and Judy show who have never tried angel you know, dust the demographics of the show are, are we've we've had more angel dust smokers than we've had people of color or gay people but can I say one thing <laughs> that's the worst drug on yeah. the planet oh yeah we all it's agree fucked up shit <laughs> some fucked up shit he, he, like, and James Brown discovered it when he was like 60 right and you like, see what happened to him right? I know yeah that worked uh, I never understood that's like okay James you're 60 get into crack I I get it. There's, you know, there's some, there's some pleasurable. I don't really you know, get there, the getting there, into crack ob- when you're over sixty. Well, it's, well it's, it's pleasurable. There's an obvious benefit to smoking right, crack. It makes you feel good. Just hell. Uh, as drugs should make you feel good. That's why, it's presumably, why we fucking take them because recreational drugs, right? Because they make you feel fucking good. You smoke some crack, <laughs> you get high. You take PCP, you want to empty your fucking gun into your, into your wife's you, car. My, you know, my, it's not good. There's no upside to this. My my brother's girlfriend. This was like in the '80s, and they used to do this. She was from DC. They used to do a, a thing in DC. 
NBC called Love Boat. Oh, yeah. And where they would like, <laughs> it was like, I don't know, angel dust dipped in embalming fluid it's, and like yeah, this whole. It was horrible. And Holy I hell. smoked this stuff by accident because she's. Ain't that the way it always happens, though? It, it, was, yeah. it, it, it was like, I felt like I was on a roller coaster that just kept going down. <laughs> that actually sounds pretty cool. That actually sounds pretty cool. So, so it's, what was the recipe again? It was angel dust and bombing fluid. And, but you had to like roll it down. and then dip it in the embalming fluid. Yeah. It was very complex. DC had a whole bunch of really interesting You're talking to a guy drugs. who can snort cocaine in the shower. Okay? Yeah. It's not too complex for me. You gotta teach me that one. <laughs> what you do is, is, well, first of all, you need to keep okay. the moisture. Okay. <laughs> Do I have to be the voice of reason again? Okay. I'm always the mom. Like when I'm <laughs> you, need a, you need a fulcrum for the straw. It's sort of like Archimedes' lever kind of, and the thing to protect the it's, it's complex. We're talking about it's, it. it's, it's advanced. <laughs> very, very, very advanced we'll and awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, selling crime writing, I mean, that's like the old, that's, that's as old school as it gets. That's pulp. That is pulp fiction. Yeah. That's the right I definition mean, of it. There, uh, there seems to be a little resurgence in terms of, I mean, there's a, a website called Mahalan Books. Mahalan is uh, put out through Little Brown, Michael Peach's publishing company. And um, there's a lot of crime fiction that's been coming out. I guess, you know, it's kind of sad, but as much as I like um, Pulp Fiction, Tarantino kind of revised this whole, you know, in the 90s, kind of revised this whole Pulp thing. And there's great writers coming out of uh, England. One of my favorite writers is Irish, actually, uh, Kim Bruin, mm-hmm. who wrote a book called The Guards, and he's written many books. Jason Starr is another writer that I love. You know, sticking to our original topic of uh, race and uh, punk rock and whatever, but speaking of crime, there have been great black crime writers. Has there ever been a great black pornographer? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I mean, look, there was a a, 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 a magazine called Players that used to come out yeah, yeah, in yeah. the 70s. And there were a lot of writers, I'm sure, who wrote for Players. Now, I, I didn't really read Players. I did look at the pictures. Who, who does? <laughs> you didn't read the article? No. I, I mean, that's why every guy But there were a lot of articles that. in it, you know. So I'm sure there were some. I mean, okay. Steve Cannon wrote a great pornography novel that um, our mutual friend Darius James turned me on mm-hmm. to. It's called something like Bang Bang Groove Jive Around or something like that. Yeah, no white person could have written that. Well, came, <laughs> uh, Olympia Press mm-hmm. put it out in the late 60s. And I think Olympia was what with, with Evergreen or part of Evergreen. That Olympia was who's, erotica. Who's his face? Er, say who's, again? The guy, who's the guy who started Olympia? Got in all that trouble. Out of Paris, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I can't remember Alzheimer's his name. moment here. Yeah, I'm old too. One beer and... <laughs> One old, and a half beer. I think I'm off the reservation, McGuire. So. By like six months. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> well, <laughs> it counts, though. Every second counts. Well, you know, speaking of, of pornography and race, you know, Hugh Hefner would like to claim, you know, that he, you know, was the answer to the whole civil rights movement. Oh, that documentary was such a blowjob okay, to okay, him. Seriously, you know, how, you know my feelings on Hefner. He, helped he is a feminism. lying... Uh, oh, he invented it by he, putting he rabbits' ears racism. on their head and putting bunny tails on them. That's how he freed women. He let them keep their tips. I mean, I mean, you really, you really, you really, you really, I mean, you really can't, you know, beat Hefner on a few things. I mean, he was hiring black comedians, uh, Dick Gregory, one of the first, when right. he couldn't get Alex a gig Haley. anywhere else. And, and Alex Haley was a writer and did many interviews. And um, But seriously, even when he started covering jazz, he was so fucking white, that Hefner guy, right? Even when he was covering jazz, he was still writing about the Dorsey brothers after Thelonious well, Monk was on the say, cover of Time. I have to say one thing. My favorite out of, uh, in Playboy, was Leroy Neiman. Leroy Neiman doing those Miles Davis paintings. Uh, and, uh, well, Michael, I love that no, 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 no. I'm with Michael on this because Leroy Neiman, when he started, it was 
you know, his approach, it was using illustration as fine art. That exactly. was the concept. Now it's become like this cliche, these Leroy Neiman sports things that he does. You see blasted all over Sports Illustrated and in shopping malls. But at the beginning when he was illustrating he was James beautiful. Bond, I mean, that was, people weren't doing illustrations, painterly illustrations as art. And that's really, that's, not, that's Art Paul, the art director right. of of uh, Playboy who really you know found that thing it was the fine art movement it was sort of like breaking dance you know it's a real breaking down of like lowbrow versus highbrow culture and considering comics and illustration as you know the same same league as, fi- as fine art now nobody pays for anything sucks well I know in the last couple of years <laughs> Playboy has been using a, a comic book artist that I really love to do paintings for them this guy named Kent Williams mm-hmm. and um, you know Kent started off you know as Marvel DC guy and now he's like a big fine artist who kind of goes between both worlds and you know, he's doing a bunch of Playboy illustrations. Well, you're, you're in the comic book world as well. Oh, presence. my God, yes. I, I know <laughs> a lot about comics, but I, I don't write comics. I've never written comics. He's an avid consumer of them, though. Dork. Especially Howard Chaykin. Dork, now, now there's now the comic book world. I mean, Shut up, of, I love him. Another place where um, straight white dudes kind of dominate, right? Well, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, you can especially see that at the, the, the sort of weird knee-jerk fan outrage when, like, Donald Glover from Community tweeted like as a joke that he might want to try out for Spider-Man and everybody went up in arms like oh you can't have a black Spider-Man or something like that it's very bizarre well our friend wrote Black Captain America oh really well, I do have to say one thing on both sides there are a lot of black punk fans and a lot of black comic book fans if you go to a comic book convention or a comic book store on Wednesday, which I never do. <laughs> How about yeah, I went with you on a Wednesday to um, <laughs> Forbidden Planet once and you really? bought me a copy of Fanboy Oh, was that the Hernandez brothers? No, no, it was some some other dorksicle. It was Sergio. (laughs) But yeah, that is that is a unifier. It's like the the guys who are socially awkward who stand six inches from the the wall, so you can't. They don't know how to browse correctly. Fanboys. (laughs) That is the, that's well, the I always tried to be a fanboy and a player, so you know. <laughs> hey, you know, I th- hey, you know, I, you I, let I, the ladies <laughs> slide in front of you. Hey. <laughs> no, I'm with that. You got to be a fan. I, I hate people who are too jaded to be enthusiastic, yep. and that sucks. And that's punk rock, right? Well, and 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 it really is. Especially, I think you can see how. Uh, 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 Unfortunately, the way that the, the decline of, say, the comics industry right now really has a lot to do with, I think, the sort of cynical, like, oh, I can't love anything just to love it. But, you know, I can't have that kind of engagement with something anymore. I need things to be curated for me or something like that. Oh, curated. A I hate really that word. I hate that word. word. <laughs> it's terrible. You picked some stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but, the, but there is something really cool about, you know, the kid who either, you know, just goes to the record store and buys every punk record that he sees or, yeah. buys, or buys every new comic book that came out that day that we're kind of losing, I think. Yeah, that's what, that's one of, okay, I hate to be like the total grandma, but that's really what the internet has screwed up. Like, when we were young, we had to really search for coolness. Now you could just, like, somebody can tell you about a cool website and they'll tell you what to listen to because... Why is that a bad thing? Because it used to be hard to be cool. <laughs> and that was better. There that used to be fewer of us. That's right. There's too many. It's and now everybody's got an internet radio show. <laughs> so, Michael, tell us, uh, tell, tell um, our vast listening audience uh, where they can find you and where we can find more about your work. Uh, recently, I just did a big piece on the 15th anniversary of the Basquiat movie that is in a magazine called Juicy. And despite the title, it's not a porno magazine. It is, uh, it's for ladies, it. right? It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a gossip magazine. It's kind of like a black version of uh, Star or Inquirer but they let me write these really cool back in the day stories because I'm nice. a thousand years old so 
All right. We'll and find. Max, where can we find your book? Anywhere, right? Uh, it's in stores. I've, I've heard people see it as far as Australia and Istanbul. Um, Repeat the title for us. So uh, White Riot, Punk Rock and the Politics of Race from Verso. And uh, I bet it can be found on Amazon.com. It can be. That, One that, click that your filthy, way filthy institution. to happiness. Yeah. But you should buy it from an independent bookstore like Word and Greenpoint. Uh, for instance. For or St. Or, or Mark's, especially, St. Mark's. who are having a hard time uh, with their rent lately. So I that's, that's right. So, uh, once again, from Roberta's here on the Heritage Radio Network, it's the Mike and Judy Show, supporting punk rock and independent booksellers across America. We'll see you guys next week. program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. Meat Shop has just opened in the Essex Street Market. Open from 9 to 7 Monday through Saturday and 10 to 6 on Sundays, the Heritage Meat Shop supports independent family farms and animal welfare approved and certified humane raising standards. Most importantly, they offer a wide variety of heritage breeds. So stop by, get a sandwich, try the charcuterie. The Heritage Meat Shop at the Essex Street Market.